Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Arise to Truth. My name is Wesley Simons. I preach for the Stony Creek Church of Christ in Elizabethan, Tennessee. I'm Eddie Kraft, co-director of the Tri-City School of Preaching, Christian Development, right here in beautiful Elizabethan, Tennessee. I'm Tim Phillips. I'm dean of instructors for the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development. And I'm Michael Jordan. I'm the dean of media at the Tri-City School of Preaching and Christian Development. Boy, it's good to have all these men with us. It's good to have you with us. If you are where you can, please go get your Bible, pencil, and paper. And for the next one hour, study with us the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God. Now, as you go to get that Bible, stop by the telephone. Call a friend, a loved one. Tell them that the Arise to Truth radio program is on the air. If you're local, we're located 690 on your AM dial. And if you're out of town, tell your friends or loved ones to get on the Internet, type in AriseToTruth.com, and you've got us. Arise to Truth, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Good evening, uh, Wesley and Perp. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Hey, i got a uh, uh, probably a spiritual if they did it out of retaliation, I'd say that's true. Okay, now say if it wasn't out of retaliation and say, you know, time did pass, uh, that she was searching for a divorce because of uh, the adultery, but it never went through by the state. Under God's law, I know that uh, he, she was trying to put him away, but we, she still had to wait before all that until she got the divorce. Okay, our advice would be to anyone, wait. You know, if you don't wait, then how can you really declare yourself an innocent party to a large degree? Especially when the waiting period now is not that long in most states. So I don't see why an individual won't make the sacrifice and wait. I know Eddie and I have talked about this and the elders here. We even advise people don't even date. Don't even think about another mate for the most part. Just worry about taking care of that first marriage, being faithful to your mate, and then putting your mate away for the cause of fornication. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. You know, this is, of course, before she was even knew about the word and all that. So, and it was just like me, too. So, uh, but we are married now, and it was my first marriage, too. So, I just haven't heard this kind of rape like this, so maybe it would help others, and as well as me. Okay, now, now, hold, now hold it just a minute. So you married this woman that committed the fornication out of retaliation? Yes, 
Yes, I did. Okay. All right. Now, how long was it when uh, her husband committed fornication? How long was it before she decided, well, I'm paying him back? And that's the thing that, you know, I asked her, and she's trying to be honest with me, but she don't. This was like 20 years ago, so all the details of her are fuzzy, which then, Wesley, reminds me to ask you this question. What happens if she's not telling me the whole truth? Am I still going to be held responsible in the day of judgment? Well, absolutely. If a person doesn't tell you the truth, I don't know how I can tell you that... Uh, you know that you're okay. For instance, let's say that she was a put-away fornicator, and she tells you, hey, I'm all right, and you marry her. All right? The Bible says if you do that, you commit adultery. Now, I don't have a right to say, well, because she wasn't honest with you, we're not going to call it adultery. See, I can't do that. All I can do is call it what God calls it. That's all I can do. Now, uh, uh, God will have to deal with that come Judgment Day through His Son, Jesus. And uh, they'll handle it the way it ought to be handled. But today, all you and I can do is say, hey, what the Scriptures say. That's all we can do. Yeah, and when we first dealt with this question, Wesley, uh, a couple of years ago about this marriage, divorce, or marriage, we both were sincere and want to please God that if it did come to that fact that we would divorce because of our spiritual soul. And but and then by my conscience has been cleared, at least for what I did study and listening to these programs, that I thought I was living Christ until the other day I was listening to a part of your program, and that topic kind of briefly came up, and then which now pricked my conscience. So this is the reason to call today. Yeah. Well, how old are you? Hello? I'm sorry, Wesley, what? You broke up. Oh, how old are you? I'm 37. Uh, I will be 37, and she's uh, six years older than I. Okay, so she's about 43. Yes, sir. Okay, now let, let me say this. Now, did you, did you say y'all have divorced? Uh, she has divorced. I never, re I never married up until her. Uh, but what I mean, the two of y'all now, have y'all gone your separate ways? No, we are still an item because I just listened to your program uh, what uh, Monday. So yeah, yesterday. So now it's been on my heart today. So I called you today. Okay, let me say this: There's some things that you and I must have to sustain life: food, air, water, etc. Now, a marriage and a sexual relationship is not one of those, and so then. You and your wife may be far better advised for your soul's sake to go your separate ways. You see what I'm saying? Amen. Yes, I do. And I hate that. I, I don't like that a little bit. But yet, uh, you want to safeguard your soul. Amen. And that's what we both seek after. You know, that's what we both want. And I'm sure the audience want to know, too, because, I mean, this is like in America, you know what I mean? Because my children, if we're trying to rear our children as godly children, and, you know, it's, and now here, I'm actually living in a bad example now, but, you know, of course, I'm going to repent, but uh, that 
just questioning, you know, and it's pricking my heart and causing me, you know, it's my soul is that state. Well, let me say this. I love you and admire you for being concerned. And, I appreciate it. And see your concern for yourself, your concern for your wife, and also you want to be the right kind of example in front of your children. And your concern for them as well as the church, as well as for uh, society and so forth. I appreciate it. And Wesley, i got one more question to ask you uh, that is not as much as a spiritual consequence. But in Hebrews 1, chapter 11, when we read about the Hall of Fame of Faith, if you will, uh, when it jumps down to probably, I don't have my Bible, but uh, down to Hebrews 11, say 39, 42, when it says, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And when that, when you know, when I read that, it's it's like a cloud. So you know, it's like even baptism. You know, we're surrounded by 360 degrees all the way around, just not from the right or left. My question would be, how are they at the Old Testament who were faithful, and we see by example of their faith, by their work, how are they witnessing to us? Okay, that's a great question. It sure is, and we'll take off on that and maybe say some more about marriage, divorce, and remarriage as well, okay? I appreciate it, Wesley, and as far as that marriage, divorce, and remarriage is uh, concerned is, you know, I did listen to all the past things, so, I mean, uh, we don't have to spend too much on the uh, foundation part because we know we you touched on this uh, last time, so, you know, a couple weeks ago, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, you know, take you off your topic, but well, I appreciate a, it, guys. Well, Love well, you, and, uh, huh? let, let me say one more thing about you. I appreciate your being desirous of truth and not getting mad at me when I maybe give you an answer that goes against maybe what you would like for the answer to be. You see what I mean? And, yes, sir. And I love you for that. I sure do. And I love you guys, too. Okay. Well, thanks for calling. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. All right. Good question. Put out some good stuff. Now, ladies and gentlemen, one of the toughest subjects to deal with is marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And, fellas, it's because we live in a country that says you can divorce from any and every reason. Get married to anyone just about now. A man can marry a man. A woman can marry a woman. They have... They have uh, spit upon the pattern of God Almighty. Arise the truth on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, Wesley, how you doing? I'm doing good, you? Yeah, I had a question. Um, is it probably just a pretty much a, a good rule of thumb that if somebody's divorced, probably not to even date them to begin with? Because I'm in that dilemma. Most of the people that I meet have, if they've not been married, I, I kind of like to go for somebody that's never been married when I'm dating. That's kind of a good rule of thumb. All right, now, in other words, a good rule of thumb you're saying is to date somebody that's never been married? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I gotta, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I just, you know, my parents have been married 40-some years. Both of my grandparents were married 50-some years. So that's, that's the examples that I've had. I've had good Christian examples of what marriage is all about. I, I'm totally against divorce. Yeah. And as a rule of thumb, would that just be kind of a good idea? I think that's a wonderful idea. Now, that, that's one point. Now, the second point is, as you look for a mate, look for somebody that's going to help you go to heaven. Exactly, somebody's saved. You see what I mean? Yeah, 
Okay. Uh, all right. Anything else? Yeah, I was wondering. I heard a preacher say something on the radio the other day. He, he called baptism a, uh, trying to figure out how he said it, an inward sign of an outward grace. Where do they get that at? I've never read that in the Bible. And if you could uh, elaborate on that, and I'll hang up and listen to your comments. Okay, thank you. See you. Bye. Now, we'd like for some of these Baptist preachers who do call baptism an inward sign of an outward grace, we'd like for you to call and tell us where it is. The caller made a good point. Now, it's nowhere in God's Word. That's right. You know why they got to call it that? Because they will not call it what the Bible calls it. An uh, act that brings about the remission of sins through the blood of Christ, Acts 2.38. Also, it's part of calling upon the name of the Lord, Acts 22.16. It's also an action that puts one into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, 27 through 29. It's an action that saves, 1 Peter 3, 21, and gives one a good conscience, 1 Peter 3, 21. Now, they're not going to call it that. When I debated Dewey Williams on live radio on another station, he, one of his own members, one of his own members called in and said, Dewey, if you didn't baptize me for the remission of sins, in order to be saved, would you mind telling me why you baptized me? He could not answer her. Now, isn't that amazing? Now, I can tell people why I baptize people. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I believe that with all my heart. Now, friends, you can be bullheaded, stubborn, if you want to, but you're going to be lost when you rebel against the very word of God Almighty. I've had through the years several times people say, what does baptism in water got to have to do with my salvation? Well, First Peter 3.21 answers that. It has the same thing to do with your salvation that belief does, repentance does, confession does, grace does, and every hope does everything because of its connection to the resurrected Jesus. That's right. If Jesus had not been resurrected, then you couldn't believe your belief in Jesus would be of no value, no more than Muhammad. Your confessing his name would mean nothing. Your repenting of your sins because Jesus said to do so would not carry a bit of weight if he's not been resurrected. We dealt with this this morning in taping biblical viewpoints. Ladies and gentlemen, please write down 1 Peter three twenty-one. And notice what Peter said. Peter, in dealing with baptism, says it's the like figure whereunto even baptism, talking about the Noah being saved by water, the eight souls, the like figure whereunto baptism doth now also save us. Now, how does it save us? Well, it's certainly not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, that's the parenthetical statement. I want to read the verse and leave out the parenthetical statement. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that's how baptism saves us. Same thing that confession does and belief does, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. When I show the baptism is connected to the resurrection, many times people will say, for the first time I now realize what baptism has got to do with my salvation. Same thing belief does. Friends, we were going to deal with Romans 6, which is interesting that this question comes up. Jesus, uh, Paul said in Romans 6, 3, Know you not as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
We're buried with him by baptism into death. As like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There's your new birth. If we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. Through what we've just done, knowing this, our old man is crucified with him. The body of sin might be destroyed. We henceforth should not serve sin. He that is dead is free from sin. Now, that's what baptism got to do with it. Now, you can read. You don't, it won't take you long. Get your concordance, look up the word baptism, and read every verse in the Bible about it. Not one time. Not one time. Do you read where baptism is an outward act of an inward grace? Not one time. That's right. And yet, like our caller just said, you hear preachers make these kind of comments all the time on radio and TV. It's not biblical. Arise to truth. you on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, it's me again. I actually uh, also want to go over something else. I heard some, we were discussing the same subject, and they mentioned something like baptism, just something you do, you know, kind of as a symbol. And I said, well, the only thing I, I added to the conversation was, I said, baptism is not a suggestion, it's a command. And I was wondering, where are the verses in Acts where it says that they were commanded to be baptized? Because I'm going to write those down and I'm going to read those verses. Okay, you got Acts 10 48. Where? Let's see what now? Acts 10, and verse number 48. 10, 48? Yeah, 10. 48. Acts 2, 38. 38, all right. Acts 22, 16. 23, 16. No, 22. 22, 16, okay. Okay. And, of course, you got other verses in other books, and you got more in Acts where they were told to be baptized. See, there's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? The eunuch said. And Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah. Isn't it true that it was just him and the other? They act like there has to be a big crowd there and they have to have a special, you know, ceremony to have baptism. You have baptism when the person's converted, not when you have a special 50 million people to do it. You can do it with just two people there, right? Oh, yeah. That's a matter of fact, that's when it must be done. Now, what I mean by must. If somebody walked in this door right now in this studio and said, I've been studying my Bible and I want to become a Christian, one of us is leaving this radio program and going to go take the good confession of that individual, make sure they understand what they're doing, and we're going to baptize them now. Not wait until we get a crowd. We're going to baptize them now. Yeah, that's normally what they do at most churches. Hey, but I thank you for your comments. If you could find some more of those verses, I would appreciate it, and I'm going to write them down here. Okay, thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks. Bye. Okay, we appreciate his calling and, and asking those questions. Well, you got Mark You got Mark 16, 16, where it, it saves. First oh, Peter three twenty one, where it saves. That's right. You know, verses, verses like that. And, you know, the Scripture, uh, here comes Ananias to Saul of Tarsus. And he tells him, as recorded in Acts 22, verse 16, And now what tarest thou? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You can't call on the name of the Lord unless you're baptized. That's exactly right. I mean, just, just think about that. You got in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, Peter quotes Joel's prophecy, and, and he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right? Now he preaches them a Christ-centered sermon. They have crucified the Son of God. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom he had crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, 
they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, this is the first time that you have the gospel being preached there on the day of Pentecost. The first time that Peter is going to tell them what to do in order to call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That right there was a Holy Spirit-given answer. It was right then. It's right today. Well, those uh, denominational preachers out there, will they teach that today? Well, we know the answer to that. Tim, I've asked preachers that have called this program, when people want to know what shall we do, will you give the same answer that a Holy Spirit-filled man gave on the day of Pentecost, will you give that answer? To which they responded, no. Friends, open your eyes. When did it change? Yeah, when did it change? And who changed it? That's right. That's right. They yeah. not only don't give that answer, Wesley, they will deny that answer. Yes. Like Dewey Williams, the lady that called him, he's denying baptism for the remission of sins. Uh, Acts 2.38 says it's Oh, yeah. And then they come up with a plan of salvation you can't even find in the Bible. That's true. Such as pray the sinner's prayer. Now, we know you preachers listen to the program. And we will give you free airtime if you will call us and show us where anyone, after the Lord's church was saved, ever prayed the sinner's uh, 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 I said that wrong. After the Lord's church was established, ever prayed the sinner's prayer to be saved is what I was trying to say. Now, ladies and gentlemen, don't hold your breath waiting on them to call. They're not going to call because nobody knows better than they that it's not in God's Word. But yet they preach it as if though it's book, chapter, and verse. And Judgment Day, the punishment for them, according to James 3.1, will be far more severe because they lied, flat out lied, to people on what they must do in order to be saved. Now, here's what I appreciate about the first caller, talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I told him that I didn't see how the wife could be justified in fornicating to get back at her husband. All right? Did you notice his attitude? You never got mad at me. Never. Now, I tell people, on the other hand, fellas, you've got to be baptized to be saved. They get mad at me. Some of them do. I mean, extremely mad at me. Even though it was the Christ who said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Well, what if you don't believe that? And he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, we're talking about a serious matter here. How many plans of salvation does God have? He only has one. All persons who teach, there are two plans of salvation, are persons who teach false doctrine. Well, that's every religious group. Because you see, they're going to get you in, they're going to get me in, they're going to get everybody in, no matter what we teach, in order to be saved. Well, I'm here to tell you, we're not going to do that. Either Eddie, Tim, Michael, and I are going to comply with the one plan of salvation in the Bible, or we're wrong. 
And once we comply with it, then we have to insist that everybody else comply with the one plan of salvation in the Bible, or else they're wrong. That's exactly right. Now, guys, I have some comments on Hebrews 11 and 12, if we're through with that. Yeah, now, the yes, let's go back to that. Because he wanted to know, First seeing your compass about with yeah. so great a cloud of witnesses. How could they be witnesses? That's 12.1. Right. Now, Wesley, the way that's done, notice verse 40 of chapter 11. God having provided some better things for us. And there's a contrast between yes. us and those in chapter 11. Now, notice he says he that they, that's the people in Hebrews 11, should not be made perfect without us. So without the New Testament Christianity, the people that lived under the old law, could not have found justification. And so let me read it again. Verse 40, chapter 11, book of Hebrews. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Then the verse he asks about. Wherefore, seeing then that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, that's the people of Hebrews 11, watching their lives, watching how they acted by faith, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, not them. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, not looking to Moses, not looking to Noah, not looking to any of these people for salvation, but looking unto Jesus. Why? He's the author and finisher. Our is in italics. The Greek New Testament have the definite article there. He's the author and finisher of the faith. Of course, that would be the author and finish of our faith if we're going by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But the text says he's the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so how are they witnesses to us? They're witness to us in that we take their example, Romans 15, 4, and we learn by their successes, we learn by their mistakes. Wesley, if I want to know how to walk by faith, I couldn't think of a better place to go than Hebrews 11. That's right. And not only that, Ed, like you say, Hebrews 11 is teaching us that you can love God and you can obey God. You can win the victory. That's right. And here's some who did it. You see, and they're not complete without us. You know why? It took the New Testament system. To fulfill all things because that was part of prophecy. But the New Testament system could not exist until the blood of Christ was shed. Therefore, there's no remission of sins without the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. You're listening to men that believe with all of their hearts. No one responsible for his actions is going to make it to heaven without the wonderful blood of Jesus Christ. We are people that believe in the blood and grace that's been extended through faith that we do what God has asked us to do. Even those under the Old Testament system had to be redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Absolutely. Christ. Absolutely. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That's right. That's right. There's just, uh, you know, absolutely uh, great that that took place. But, you know, you can just just read the lives of those that, you know, lived under the Old Testament law system. You take Abel here in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered. He did something. He did it by faith. He offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
Both of them were told what to do because so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Mm-hmm. Both of them were told what to offer. But Cain didn't do his by faith. Abel did his by faith. So that teaches us as we come over to the New Testament that God is a spirit and they that worship him must. That's not a suggestion. That word there must comes from a Greek word which means it is necessary. Must worship him in spirit. That's with the right attitude. And in truth according to his word. So we can see by Abel offering up to God a more excellent sacrifice, what must we do under the New Testament? We must worship God the way he has prescribed, not any way that man has deemed in his own heart that, well, I think I'll go ahead and worship God any way that I want to. No, that's what Cain did. That's what Cain did, and it got him in trouble. So there's an example of how we worship. Now you get to verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Notice, he did something. He moved with fear. Well, what must we do as New Testament Christians? If we're going to be right in the sight of God, we better move with fear. There's people out there that need to hear the gospel, and we better move with fear because we need to teach these people. Abraham, verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Well, We can see by Abraham's example that we better obey God. You know, uh, Jesus Christ said, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 teaches, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them, that obey him. So we can see the great examples of those that live faithful under the Old Testament law system. That means that we better obey what Jesus Christ told us to do under the New Testament law system. That's exactly right, Tim. And I like what you said there about the law system, too. I made yesterday morning, uh, fellas, when I was teaching the book of Romans to our students, I encouraged them don't make the mistakes some do. Don't read the Bible and it says you're not justified by the works of the law and take that to mean every single solitary work. Yeah. The works of the law is talking about the works of the law of Moses. Absolutely. Now, it is true you're not going to be justified by works alone of any kind. But the point is there is a law, guys, and and people say we live under grace, not under law. Isaiah, when he prophesied of the coming kingdom, said the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he said there's a law of the spirit of life. That's right. And we got to obey that law. There's a works of righteousness that has to be submitted to, according to Galatians, uh, I mean, uh, Matthew 6, 33, Galatians 2 and 3 for that matter, and on it goes. And so we got to obey the gospel. Eddie, if there's not a law, then I've never committed one sin. I was, right. I was getting ready to say that from Romans four fifteen, the same book that they try yeah. to go to, say there's no law. Yeah. Well, I've committed sin. You know what that means? There's a law I've violated. That's, right. That's God's law. So then I've got to appeal to God's law on how to deal with my sin problem. And if I don't go to his law to find out how to deal with my sin problem, then I am a lawless, ungodly individual. You know, I'm acting without law. You know, it's kind of like uh, John the Baptist told Herod, you've unlawfully got 
contract. Your brother Philip's wife. It was against God's law, not the laws of the land, because he had married her. Fellas, uh, Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, talks about the new covenant. Mm -hmm. Now, a covenant is an agreement between one or two or more parties. That's right. So if there's agreement. But I like what he said, Jeremiah talking about this, said this is the covenant, verse 33, Jeremiah 31. Now, get this. This is Old Testament. Mm -hmm. This is in the Old Testament. He said, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, 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 my law in their hearts and will be their God and they will be my people. Now, there's the law. That's New Testament Christianity. Friends, that's a law of grace. That's a law of faith. It sure is. And, and to show and to show two different laws from the law of Moses to the New Testament law, Jesus Christ could not be a high priest under the, New, or under the Old Testament law system. That's right. Uh, Hebrews 7, verse 12, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. That's right. So the law had to change in order for Jesus Christ to be our high priest, and he's high priest and king sitting on the throne today. Yeah, that's right. Now we're going to have to ask that the preachers let up on calling. That's calling in to prove the sinner's prayer. No, that's a joke. You know no one has called to do that. But yet that's what they preach. It's what they put in their tracks. They are even right in the tracks the prayer to pray. And then they address it to the wrong being, dear Jesus. No, you don't pray to Jesus. You pray to God through Jesus Christ based on what the Word of God says. We will give you free airtime to call in and give one verse. You don't need two. You don't need 50. You don't need a 100. You need just one verse where anyone after the establishment of the Lord's church ever prayed a sinner's prayer in order to be saved. Every time they were asked what to do, they were told, in essence, to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for the remission of sins. It all started on the day of Pentecost. And you can just trace it all through the book of Acts, a historical book showing how the church came to be, how people were born again, how they were added to the Lord's church, and how they were encouraged to live. Now, that amazes me, preachers, that we haven't got a call from you yet. Now, some of you members of denominational churches may want to help bail them out. We'll give you free airtime to give us that verse where you can pray the sinner's prayer and be saved. Now, I think, fellas, where a lot of this false teaching starts, it starts from a false concept. Of them saying, and, and they'll say this on radio, and it's just as wrong as it can be. They'll say, Church of Christ teaches you can go to heaven by your works. Brethren, we don't believe that. No. We do not believe that for a moment. It's not by works only. you got to have grace and faith without God's grace and faith, but you got to obey him. Mm-hmm. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But they think we're trying to say we're working our way to heaven. Wesley's got a sermon, and I've adapted it and used it too, but it's... Uh, can we work our way to heaven? The answer to that is no. And when I hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized for the remission of my sins, and I try to live a faithful life, if I think I've got to earn place in heaven, folks, I'm just wrong. That's right. It's still, after I've done all I know to do and have obeyed every command I can obey, I'm still an unprofitable servant. That's right. Yeah, Tim, according to Acts 10, 
34, 35, for a person to be saved, don't they have to fear God and work righteousness? Oh, most definitely. Verse 34 of Acts chapter 10 starts off, we got a phone call? Yeah, let me take it. All right, I'll, then I'll come back to that. Let's hope this is a preacher. Arise the truth, you on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes, about the uh, divorce and remarriage situation. What about forgiveness in that? That's uh, uh, it, it's not if, uh, if something happens that one commits the sin outside of the marriage with another. Uh, are there not any forgiveness to be done in that? Uh, Christians are supposed to give, over, forgive over 400 times in, in, in marriage, and we make that vow to God that we'll stay together. Me and my wife will soon be married 45 years, and we've never, we've never even... Thought about a divorce. I don't like it at all, but uh, is, is there not any room in this for forgiveness? Oh, yes. That's what we'd promote. Yes. All right. Anything else? That was all. Thank you. Well, son, we congratulate him, too, with a scriptural marriage. Anybody, Betty and I be soon married 51 years. The point, guys, is this. It's not about a matter of forgiveness. If I suppose I'm a habitual murderer. Yeah, and some and I come to you, Wes, and I say I'm a habitual murderer. I I just enjoy it. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, what are you coming to me? I want to become a Christian, and you tell me what to do. Well, since I'm an habitual murderer, I can't be saved. No, I can be forgiven, but I got to quit murdering. That's, That's exactly right. right. And if I'm going to be, a, a, if I'm a fornicator, a put away fornicator, and I'm living in fornication, I got to get out of it. Yeah, let's do it this way. Let's go back to the first caller where he said the woman's husband fornicated. All right, then she goes and does the same thing to retaliate. Now, the perfect situation, if they'd have come to us, we'd have told them what both of you need to do is grow up and repent. And stay together. And stay together. together. That's right. That's what we'd have told them. We would have preached forgiveness to them. That's right. Now, uh, that's what I try to do in marriage counseling. When someone comes to me and they got a problem with their husband or their wife, I set them down and I talk to them about forgiveness and trying to get back together. Now, Wesley, let's say here's a situation. Here's a, a husband and wife that comes to you and the husband has committed adultery on his wife. She can forgive. He asked for forgiveness and and according to scriptures, I mean, if she's going to be right, she must forgive him. That's right. But does she have to take him back? No. No, she may feel she cannot trust him. And she does not have to take him back. But she has to forgive him. That's exactly right. So remember, forgiving one and putting one's mate away for the cause of fornication can be two different things. That's right. And we need to keep that in mind. Well, this is why we need so badly to teach our young people. That's right. What about marriage, divorce, and remarriage before they get into some of these dilemmas? And a lot of people are in situations that they never intended to get in, but they're in. And it's too late to do much about that. But they can teach their children and others what the truth is about it. And But definitely, and I've heard people say, well, divorce then is the unpardonable sin. There's not a sin that can't be forgiven if you will repent of it. Right. The unpardonable sin is living in habitual sin, and you will not quit it. You're That's not right. going to give it up. Then you're blaspheming the very teachings of the Word of God. See, you, you can be forgiven, Eddie, as, as a murderer. 
You know, if, if you repent, but there might be consequences to it. You might oh, yeah. spend, have to spend the rest of your life Absolutely. in jail, or you might have to face the death penalty right. because of it. The same thing for one who is a put-away fornicator that has committed adultery. They can be forgiven, but there might be the consequence that they can never, ever again have another marriage, a scriptural marriage before God Almighty. It's like the doctor, was it of the Olympics? Was that what he did? He was an Olympic, Olympic doctor, and he abused all these children. He can be forgiven. If every parent and every child stood before him in the courtroom and said, we forgive you, that doesn't mean he shouldn't go to jail for the crimes he's no, committed. Right. You see, he has violated uh, the law. He's violated these young ladies, and he has to pay a price for it. There's consequences to sin. That's right. And we need to understand there are consequences to living in sin. I think dealing with marriage, you know, teaching your children, we've got to also try to show them Ask good questions. I guarantee you probably asked Kay probably about a million questions, you know, when you met her. But let's say supposedly, Wesley, uh, that here you're talking with Kay, you know, wanting, wanting to date her. And you ask her, say, well, Kay, have you ever been married? And she says, you know, Wesley, I'm not going to tell you that. What would be your attitude in that situation? Well, in that situation, Tim, I wouldn't mess with her. She's hiding something or whatever. Now, here's the thing. And the uh, second caller, I believe it was, said, don't you think it's a good point and principle mm-hmm. and rule to try to date someone that's never been married? Yes, I do. I think that's wonderful. That's what I look for when uh, my darling wife passed away. Then secondly, you've got you to gotta try to pick someone that's going to help you go to heaven. That's right. And thirdly, that means you need to be of the same faith, namely, that which is taught in God's Word. Now, I can't imagine being married to a denominational person, Kay believing one thing, me something else, her going to one church and me another, and both of us declaring we're doing God's will. I mean, that's nonsense, friends. I know husbands and wives that can't even worship together. How in the world can you bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord? Well, you're going to teach them what the husband believes or what the wife believes. Can you not see that's not from God? That's right out of the pits of hell. Satan trying his best to confuse society. And boy, he has done it. You're talking about atheism? It's running rampant in the world today. And one reason it's running rampant is because there's now about 45,000 different religious groups that claim to be following Christianity. And you've got to back up and say, Great, Scott, if that book's that confusing and God has got that kind of mess going, I don't want to be associated with it. And I wouldn't either. And you're listening to men that will not endorse that. Friends, there's not but one body of truth. There is one church... One plan of salvation, one way to worship God correctly, one organization set up in the Bible. There is one moral code, and all of us have got to buy into that one great body of truth. We don't. Come judgment day, we're going to be lost. This is correct, and and denominationalism has added to the confusion, to say the least of it. You know, that teaches one way just as good as another, and you can be this and somebody else be that. And, and we, we're reaping the results of that kind of stuff in our society. And it's really a sad thing. And this is why 
we've got to go back to the Bible. What what we do, Wesley, in America today, if I'm married wrong and I come to the Stony Creek Church of Christ and I sit down with you elders and you guys say, you're married wrong, we can't accept you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get mad at you and I'm going to go down the road and I promise you, I can find a place down the road that will accept me just like I am. That's right. And they think, I guess, they're doing me a favor. No, the best friend I ever had was the people that told me the truth. That's right. And so people will tell you whatever you want to hear. The caller a while ago wanted to know what does the Bible say. Mm-hmm. And then when you told him what the Bible said, it may not have been what he wanted to hear, but that's what the Bible says. That's right. And we got to go by the book, and we need to learn, folks, get our feelings off our shoulders and let's learn that we want to do what God says. God's not the author of confusion. Right. And we want to do what he says. I've learned things through the years and had to give up stuff I didn't want to give up. Oh, that's right. But God said you got to do this. And because God says it, I could have got mad at the people, could have quit, done whatever I wanted to do. But the truth is it would not save my soul and it wouldn't make me any better. You know, Eddie, when Elba and I was looking for truth, and we were going to the Church of God of Prophecy on Signa Mountain, the only church I ever knew anything about. My aunt was a very important member there, and she was my next-door neighbor. And there's my high school, grammar school, junior high school buddies that I went to school with. And I loved these people to death. Neighbors I loved. But I had to walk off and leave them because I love truth more than them. Arise the truth on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, uh, a moment ago you guys were talking about Cain and Abel uh, sacrifices. Mm. My question is, why did God accept uh, Abel's sacrifice, though it was a lamb, a blood sacrifice, and Cain was to make his living out of the earth, and, uh, uh, could you explain that? Yes, we sure will, and that's a very Great good question, question, sir. Okay? Thank you. Bye. All right, Tim, you were the one, if I recall, that brought it up. Yes. Why in the world did God accept uh, Abel's sacrifice, but he wouldn't accept Cain's after all? Wasn't Cain a tiller of the ground? I mean, if you're sincere and do the best you can... For crying out loud, why won't God accept that? All righty. Over in uh, Genesis chapter 4, we see in verse 3, In the process of time, uh, time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? See, if thou do, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And I believe here that comes with the idea the sacrifice was there for him to offer. That's right. And he did not offer it. And uh, like we uh, pointed out here from Hebrews uh, chapter 11, Abel did his by faith. Well, how does faith come? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, verse 17. It had to be, God had to give these boys instructions on what? To offer. To offer. That's right. That's very important. And Abel, he offered his according to faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice Tim, than Cain. That's 
He could not have done it by faith if he was not following the dictates of God Almighty. That's, that's right, yeah. You know, guys, I used to wonder about that, the question he asked. That's a good question. If you take all God says about it, don't enable, uh, or one I mentioned also in Jude, and he mentioned in Jude, that, and that helps too, I think. But the point, Wesley, like you said, when I read Hebrews 11, that cleared it up for me. Oh, yeah. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Both boys were told what to offer. Right. One offered what God said, and one offered what he wanted to. I know he's mentioned in uh, first, uh, John chapter 3, that's verse it. 12. Yeah, that's it. And it says, it says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous well why was his works evil because they were not of faith they were not of faith that's why it's evil today to offer instruments of music and worship to god it wasn't in the old testament that's right but it is today because we can't worship by faith under new testament christianity and offer it and that's the reason we don't do it it's not because we don't like it and it's not because we can't afford it why wesley could afford it himself if we needed one but the point is we can't do it by faith and i knew I thought it was Jude, but John. Yeah, he is also mentioned in Jude. It says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. That means Cain wasn't a man who was a man of faith. That's it. So when you take all that it says, if you just take the Genesis account, and that's all the information you had, Mm -hmm. it could leave some doubt in your mind. But when it says that one offered by faith, and then even like Tim read there in Genesis 4, even after it was all over, he said, Sin lieth at the door. And that word sin is sometimes translated as sin sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So I believe he's pointing out, look, there's a sacrifice. You can still take care of it. You can still do the right thing if you want to do that. Instead of doing the right thing, Wesley, like you mentioned a while ago about the attitude of the caller, instead of doing the right thing, he got mad at God and killed his brother. Yeah. Now, what kind of sense did that make? Ed, you've seen it. Tim's seen it. I've tried to study with denominational preachers. They blow up. They blow up. That amazes me. Now, friends, if you're a denominational preacher and wish to study with us, it'll tickle us to death. If we're wrong, show us. Do it in love and show us. We don't care if you're pressing the point, but love us enough to show us. Because we don't want to go to hell, and we don't want you to go to hell. But when, when you say one church is just as good as another... Now, here's what you're saying. Truth is not absolute, neither is it attainable. I mean, you can believe one thing, I can believe something else. We can just make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. God says, no, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, friends, sincerity by itself is not going to get the job done. These preachers have the attitude, well, as long as you're sincere and you're seeking God... God will accept it. Well, no, that won't work. Arise the truth on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, I do have a brief comment. You know, where Cain killed Abel, Abel over their sacrifice. One gave the sacrifice God wanted, and one didn't. And the one that didn't, he told him, he said, will you not be accepted if you do well? I think the point in the key there is if you're willing to repent from the heart and do different do it God's way and not man's way, then we'll be accepted. But it's hatred from the devil that causes us to throw fits and do something to somebody else because we fell down in the grace that God has given us. So if we repent of that, 
then God will accept it. That's Amen. all I've got. Amen. Thank you. Bye. Now, friends, that's exactly right. Now, he might have made you mad, but he told the truth. That's a good point that he made there from uh, Genesis 4, verse 7. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd be accepted if he'd do well and listen to what God told him. Now, what constitutes doing well, though, Tim? Being obedient to what God has said. I Not mean, true. we we must do that. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But you must seek him his way. That's Hebrews 11.6. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Now, friends, what is good in religious matters? That which can be proven. That's right. Everything else is wrong. We've got to have Bible authority for what we do. Now, in teaching my darling wife, Kay, she used to be a Baptist, and I taught her out of it. I asked her, what separates the Church of Christ from everybody else? And she's got it. She says, Bible authority. Amen. Bible authority is that which separates us from everybody else. We demand Bible authority. That's why we don't have women preachers. That's why we do not have mechanical instruments of music. That's why we won't let a person divorce and remarry 50 times for any and every reason. And then when they get uh, wife number 50, say it's okay. With God, it's not okay. That's why we will not approve of a man marrying a man, a woman marrying a woman, aborting children, gambling, drinking, all these ungodly deeds. We're not going to approve of those things because they're out of harmony with God's will. Now, friends, Christianity is not a thing in the world but me taking my will and submitting it to the will of God. Now, that means i got to surrender. I surrender all to the Lord. I don't surrender part of it. Well, yeah, I like this commandment. I, I can do it. But I don't like baptism. I'm not going to do that. I don't like loving my neighbor or praying for my enemy. You see, we can't pick and choose buffet-style what we want to believe and what we don't want to believe. And that's why you got all these different churches. They have chosen to pick and choose. And then when you find one that hollers non-denominational in the community, it means all denominational. Come and whatever you believe, we'll accept you. It makes no difference. We don't make a distinction here. Well, friends, we make one. We either do it God's way or we're wrong. What about you? Have you become a Christian? Why not believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and the Lord will add you to his church. Be faithful to him with all your heart, and when the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there. We hope that you'll seriously consider these matters. And thank you so much for being with us. And may God richly bless you as you continue to study the greatest of all books, the inspired, inerrant, perfect will of God.